This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. Good morning and welcome to One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show here on BCFM where we talk all things environmental in Bristol, the UK and the rest of the world. My name's Shona Jamfrey. I'm presenting the programme for several months while the amazing Penny Southgate has a very well-deserved rest and recharges her batteries. We're going to be looking at some news stories related to the environment, both in Bristol and further afield. We're going to play some tunes and today in the studio we have a very special guest, Dougal Matthews, here to talk to us all about the Bristol Postcode Wildlife and Hedgehog Groups. Dougal, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, all grand. And we'll be chatting with him later. So if you have any questions, please do send them in. You can message us on WhatsApp on 07501820075. Um, welcome to One Love, One Planet. Thank you for joining us and settle in for what is sure to be an interesting hour. So we will start with our news roundup, as we always do. And there has been a lot of news in the past week. Uh, firstly, the local elections happened on Thursday and almost all the results are now in from that. Labour are now the largest party in local government for the first time since 2002, I think. The Conservatives lost over a thousand council seats and the Greens more than doubled their number of council seats, increasing the number from 240 to 481. UKIP lost all of their remaining councillors, which, you know, is welcome to see. But is it just a sign that the Tories are now implementing policies so bad that UKIP voters are now in favour of them? But surely this has to be good news for, uh, you know, in the environmental movement, Green movement. Dougal, were you paying attention to the election news at all? I've been following it at a distance. At a distance, because we didn't have them in Bristol, obviously, that's next year. Indeed, but I think it shows that people want change. Absolutely. Well, we will see how that pans out. Very interesting. Um, International news, there are extreme heat records in Asia. This is continuing since April, I think. But Laos, Thailand, Cambodia and Vietnam all have experienced temperature spikes. A historic heat wave is bringing largely unprecedented temperatures to Southeast Asia, delivering a dangerous heat stress that could pose grave, pose grave threats to vulnerable populations and smashing all-time records. Both Vietnam and Laos have recorded their hottest temperatures ever observed. Climate historians have tweeted that the episode is one of the most brutal heat events the world has ever witnessed, that records are being pulverised. In some places, the extreme temperatures are fueling severe thunderstorms that are now bringing flooding, which is also an unwelcome crescendo to the heat. Peer-reviewed research indicates that tens of thousands of excess deaths occur annually in Southeast Asia due to extreme temperature, so it's likely that similar tools may be accompanying this heat wave. In more national news, um, UK news, so obviously there was the coronation on the weekend. Dougal, did you watch the coronation? You a fan of it? I have to confess I didn't. No, I, I didn't either. I, I, I very deliberately didn't because I'm not a fan. But, um, but yeah, was that a deliberate choice? You just said something better on. It was a deliberate choice. Um, I don't have anything against our king. Uh, I like his some of his green credentials. Um, but I'm not really a favour of um, a constitutional monarchy. Fair enough. But did you see about some of the arrests that were happening as I, well? I, I did, and I found that hugely concerning. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always thought that Britain's been a is a very open country, and we have freedom of speech, and we have the ability to disagree on things, but talk about them and. Um, it felt to me that the police actions, particularly around the Not My King protest, 
were disproportionate. The organisers had spent a huge amount of time trying to enable themselves to have protest with discussions with the police and were given lots of assurances and those assurances meant nothing on the day and that does not feel like having an open and democratic um, right to protest. And and why and sort of why would we you know why would this be relevant to sort of the environmental movement? I, I think the, the biggest problem is that we're, if we if we're to have laws, they should be proportionate and just and allow people confidence that the right outcomes will happen. And when you make laws and bend the rules to allow you to deliberately silence people even when you've said you're not going to, that removes confidence in police. Definitely. And obviously, like, I mean, the Conservatives have been bringing in uh, more uh, particular laws. Um, so there is a journalist who has uh, been speaking to, I think, the, it's a headline in The National, uh, Coronation Protest Sees Journalist Arrested and Press Pass Sees. And this was a journalist who was filming a Just Stop Oil protester because there were... Um, Republic protesters, who are the anti-monarchy group, they were protesting, but there was also uh, a Just Stop Oil protesters holding up banners. And a journalist, this is Rich Felgate, who's actually on the show several weeks ago, telling about us about his new documentary. But uh, he has told about how a police officer ripped off his press credentials while arresting him for covering climate activists protesting during the King's coronation. Uh, Rich Felgate said he was detained at a police station for 18 hours after he was arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to commit public nuisance which is a new offence under the Tories' protest ban laws. In a video of the arrest posted on social media, a police officer can be seen holding his cameras. He told him to put it away. We're going to see if we can play the clip from Twitter now. Um, we'll just see how, if the tech works. For the meantime, it's right, uh, 9.50. I'm arresting you for... You're under arrest. OK, for... Yeah. Arresting a journalist. OK. Can we just... Uh, I'm not saying that's not wrong, but let's just... Double-check that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they're suggesting anyway. You have to say anything, my offence. I am simply holding a banner in Westminster and I'm being arrested for my actions. There's a journalist with a press pass next to me who is being arrested for his actions. At this time, okay, you can put that away, please, sir. Put it away. So, yeah, well, you could hear there the uh, Just Stop Oil saying I'm just holding a banner in Westminster and being arrested for this. There's a journalist next to me being arrested, and that's on Rich Felgate's Twitter. Rich has said that uh, he has been released under investigation. He has to report to a police station in um, August. He said that the officer arresting him stopped him from filming and then tore off a lanyard with his uh, Beckdu trade union media credentials. And uh, he fears that the Police Crime Sensing and Courts Act, which took effect last year, is having a chilling effect on freedom of speech and freedom of the press. The law gives the government sweeping powers to criminalise protesters and has been severely criticised by human rights groups. And that's it being covered by the National. So, yeah, a lot going on there. And then in terms of local news, Dougal, you were going to give us an update on Brislington Meadows. Is that right? Yeah, I was... Um involved in the appeal process for Brislington Meadows and, and I'm very sad to say that we um, the appeal was granted in that Homes England were appealing for non-determination of planning permission against Bristol City Council 
and the inspector found in their favour and granted provisional planning permission. Um, I guess that answers the question of could they build on the site? Um, it the, the inspector decided that yes, that, they, yes can they can build. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's addressed properly the should they build on the site issue. Nobody locally wants it. You know, the local residents don't want it, our councillors, our MPs, the city council don't want it. Wecker declined to comment, but their attitude is very much that these matters should be decided at a local level. However, Homes England went to the national level and appealed to the Secretary of State via his inspectors, and we have been delivered an approval to build housing despite all of the um, objections locally, despite Bristol City Council's policies based around their climate emergency declaration and the need to conserve green space. Yeah, just remind people why the meadows in particular, it's not that we're against building housing, but why the meadows in particular were, are so valuable. Um, the meadows date back to, we, we can find documentation going back to sort of 17th, 16th century, um, when the meadows were, were transitioned from being a common land, so uh, owned by the people and people had rights to graze animals and collect firewood and various other things to an enclosure act in uh, 1778 which basically um, the, the, the land was taken away from the people and sold off to private individuals but in that time since then it's only ever really been used uh, f for grazing land so the hedgerows are exactly the same as they were at the time of the enclosure act we know that we can date those hedgerows back to 17 12 document which refers to them as old in a legal document and in that time old meant in living memory so we can probably add 80 or so years to that um, which would take them back to sort of 1640s we're only 40 years away from the 1600 cutoff where they would be declared an ancient and historic woodland and unless you're HS2 you can't dig those up there are a number of particularly um, old trees in the hedgerows um, they don't necessarily appear as trees because they've been managed extensively throughout their life to form hedgerows so they've been cut and laid but the um, the trunk diameters uh, at the base are absolutely enormous for the type of trees they are although perhaps quite modest compared to say uh, an oak tree because hawthorns are a small tree they don't grow massively um, the council's um, professional uh, expert on trees says that uh, said that, that they were some of the oldest and most mature hawthorns he'd ever seen. They all show veteran features. Unfortunately, it's impossible to date them without damaging the trees further, because you'd have to chop them in half to count the rings or core sample them. Um, but they all have um, ancient and veteran features. Um, the inspector found that whilst um, the site has biodiversity in abundance and uh, has merit. Unfortunately, um, the local plan, the intent for the site to become housing outweighs any benefits. And despite the fact that Bristol has been very clear that the local plan is being changed this year and will become law next year, that the site will be, has been removed from the local plan, the inspector was unable to provide very much weight on that. So. Uh, he's dealing with the conditions as they are right now rather than the conditions that you know the council would like to see in the future um, we um, 
are saddened by by that choice. Um, we hope that um, the meadows may still be saved. Um, it'll be difficult, but the Homes England will need to get full planning permission, and they will also need to sell the site on to a housing developer. At the moment, it's a grim time to be a housing developer. Mortgage rates are through the roof because of inflation. People are being squeezed because of inflation. You can't get product from Europe because of Brexit and the Ukraine war. You can't get staff from Europe because of Brexit. So everything's really expensive. It's hard to get the things you need to build housing. You can't get the people to build housing. And even if you do, you're going to have a hard time selling it because nobody can afford to buy it and nobody can get mortgages. Um, so, so the hope is that it will take them quite a while to 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 get the to get things moving and in the meantime there may be a way of of kind of stepping in and getting them to rethink this or stopping them getting the full planning permission they need we as a campaign um, have written to the secretary of state uh, michael gove uh, who employs the inspectors asking him to intervene in this case we absolutely recognize the need for housing in bristol um, but there are already 14,000 homes with planning permission that have not been built and that number's risen in the last few years so in 2019 it was 9,000 homes so it's it's doubled in in three years um, the 260 houses on the Meadows site is a bagatelle compared to that and actually what we should be doing is getting developers to build the houses we've already allowed them to build not giving them more positions um, I think it's also important to recognise that um, there is an awful lot of housing being proposed in South Bristol. So there's 10,000 homes being proposed around the St Philip's Marsh area. There's 13,000 homes in the South Bristol ward and the local MP for that ward has um, been vocal about her concerns for uh, her ward if all of those homes get built because we don't have the road infrastructure, the schools, the hospitals, the doctor surgeries, the dentists, even the hairdressers for all of those people. Um, in light of the 23,000 homes we've just talked about, most of which will be happening on Brownfield site, building 260 houses on an absolutely irreplaceable greenfield site that's already recognised as a site of nature conservation interest seems to be completely the wrong thing to do especially in the light of climate change bristol city council's climate emergency the government's own plans and intentions for changing the rules around house building to protect nature more okay well we will follow that i'm sure and sort of we'll see what happens and you know best of luck to everyone involved in that campaign and now we're going to talk to Dougal all about, um, yeah, this postcode wildlife and hedgehogs group, which I don't know very much about. Dougal, can you tell me tell me what it's all about? Um, certainly. I, I think the first thing is it's not one group. It's actually uh, a collection of different groups. Um, it started off as one group about three years ago, just before lockdown. Um, ben Barker of My Wild Bedminster created a BS3 wildlife group on Facebook. Um, originally the intention I think was just to share pictures of what was happening in people's um, gardens. Uh, I saw that, thought it was a great idea and created one in BS4 and over the last few years I've ended up talking with lots of other like-minded people and we've helped them create 
15 groups covering 16 postcodes because BS1 and BS2 are so small that we've we kind of lumped them in together. Um, and the groups are Facebook groups to start with uh, so that people can show and share their um, wildlife experiences, you know, what's happening in your garden. Uh, one of the things that I uh, I'm an avid fan of wildlife and one of the things that I really enjoy about it is just seeing how much urban wildlife there is and how varied it is. Um, you know, everything from snails and slow worms to birds to the ot uh, uh, to otters and the beaver that was recently seen in the new cut in Bedminster. Yes, we love to see it. The beavers are coming back. Yeah, that's really exciting to see. Um, I think often people think of nature as something that happens in the countryside and the groups definitely show that that's not true and actually for many species particularly hedgehogs and possibly also foxes and badgers they can make a better living in the city now because it's has its risks cars mainly um, but it's safer than the countryside and has much more food and um, habitat opportunities for them um, the way that the groups sort of work is you can sign up and join a group uh, if you just search for BS, whatever your postcode number is, so for me that would be BS4 Wildlife in Facebook, you'll find the group. Um, I've got a web page which tells a little bit more about the backstory and has links to all of the groups, which perhaps I can share with you to, to, to pass on yeah, to Yeah, definitely we'll try and share that on our socials, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was the starting point of the groups, but things have moved on. Um, one of the first things that changed is that we um, created iNaturalist projects for each postcode group so for the bs4 postcode group there's a bs4 iNaturalist project so anybody using the iNaturalist app to record um, nature within their daily sort of walks and experiences that information is now captured well, i've not heard of this app what is it the iNaturalist app iNaturalist is a um, international um, app started in America as a research project but it's now grown so it's worldwide and it's a phenomenal resource. There's phone apps so you can use it on your Android or your iPhone, there's also a web application so you can upload pictures say from a DSLR camera because it's quite hard to get good pictures of birds with a phone camera for instance. Um, if you take a picture of something and you're not sure what it is the app has some AI capabilities and it will try and help you. Um, as well as that, the app is crowdsourced. So if I take a picture of an interesting bug, you know, I might say beetle, and then somebody else will come in from somewhere else uh, and say, oh, that's uh, this type of oil beetle. So, so, so the idea is like you're taking pictures of animals or interesting plants yeah. that you see in your day-to-day -day life and then you're sort of logging where they are. And so yeah. it's a way for people to get an idea of what... Uh, wildlife is in that area and then people like you say can also help identify them and be like oh that's quite a rare bird to see around Indeed. here yeah and your records go into an internationally available database people can look on that and I often find people are very interested in a specific thing so if I report that thing I'll get some guy in Kazakhstan going <laughs> oh that's a so-and-so moth um, because that's his thing you know he's an expert on that and he's probably in Kazakhstan trying to catch some um, it's like, just come to Brislington. But, but there's a massive knowledge base there, and it's really good from an education perspective because things I don't know about, other people will help me identify. Once uh, a record has been verified by two other people, it becomes a research-grade record, and this is where the real beauty of this tool comes in because 
that data set's available to scientists all over the planet and people are using it for all sorts of things. So, you know, they might be looking at when you report snowdrops in your garden and be able to say, well, you know, in the last 10 years, snowdrops have been arriving two, three weeks earlier as a product of climate change or a species that normally would only have been seen around about Birmingham and north of Birmingham is now being seen south of Birmingham. Again, that might indicate the effects of climate change. That's, I had no idea about this. And you say it's called the iNaturalist I Naturalist app. And it's app. free to download it's and use. It's free to download and use. Uh, again, I can give you a link to some guidance about using it and some little videos. Um, last weekend was the City Nature Challenge. That's based all around the iNaturalist app. And that, that's run by the Bristol Natural History Consortium. The idea is to get people out uh, and using the app for the, for the long weekend. Um, there are other, some other really good things about that app. Um, the, the data that's gathered in the UK is um, sent to the uh, Natural Nature Atlas and also I believe that Bristol Regional Records Office gets a dump of the data every year. So that helps our records office understand what nature is in our environment. Uh, it helps uh, people like our um, council ecologists to plan where they might do surveys because by looking at the app in the area they can see things that they wouldn't necessarily be aware of go oh there's this sort of butterfly being shown on iNaturalist over there maybe I'll go and investigate that further. Um, this feeds into planning policy so um, records that report uh, interesting species you know particularly sort of bat species, uh, badgers, various plants that are all uh, protected great crested newts for instance um, when somebody applies for planning permission they will go and talk to Breck and Breck will be able to say we have records of um, these things in this area so they they know to be more careful and do more, more thorough work around that as part of their planning processes um, if anybody's worried about reporting say badger sets um, then the app's quite good you can put a protected record in which basically says instead of finding it I found a badger x marks the spot right here it says I found a badger in this one square kilometer and only people with um, higher clearance I suppose you know as an, as an organization somebody could say we're doing research on badgers and apply to have the unredacted record with the x marks the spot to see where exactly it but is it protects yeah the animals from interference because people can't go to the location of a badger set without demonstrating that they're appropriate to have that knowledge. That's amazing. I had no idea about this. I'm going to have to check it out. So you're saying that this app is linked to the particular uh, groups of this website? Yeah, so every Facebook group has its own iNaturalist app. Um, at the top of Facebook groups, you can pin posts. So every group has a pinned post about the iNaturalist app, so you can just clip straight through it. The website that I'm going to direct you to has all of the groups listed and all of the iNaturalist um, projects for Bristol for each of the postcodes. Um, there's also an initiative that I'm promoting with Bristol Tree Forum called Explore Near Me in 23. Um, the Tree Forum has this fantastic uh, data website as well as our main sort of public-facing website, if you will, which scrapes information from open data council records about trees and parks and things and um, you can go to your postcode and it will show you all of the council owned subsites within your postcode so uh, a, a subsite is like a green space or like a yeah park there's a mixture like of a... things um slightly 
because um, we use council's data, it's grouped by the council. So uh, in BS4, for instance, there are 89 sites, and you're talking about a relatively small area. You can walk across the whole of BS4 in le way less than an hour. It's only a couple of miles across. And you know some of those are very ob obvious sites, like uh, Eastwood Farm or Nightingale Valley near me or Callington Road. Um, uh, the Northern Slopes, which I know you'll be talking about in a future programme, uh, is on there as well. Um, some of the sites also include things like schools and allotments, which may not have free access, but actually are really important um, sites for nature, you know, uh, uh, because they're closed. They make safe environments for um, birds to nest, animals to find dens and nest. Um, and lots and lots of different wildlife niches for insects, which is super important because if we don't have the insects, the birds have no food, you know, uh, and then they don't, they just yeah, don't live and there. And pollination doesn't happen, and we know that's bad. Um, so, yeah, so if people are interested, so they join the Facebook group, they find their Facebook group, they could go on Facebook, they look up um, Wildlife Group BS3 or whatever, yeah. and they find it. And then, so on the group, people are sharing information they find is that is that is that is, so it's like an information sharing In, indeed um so a lot of people are sharing uh lots of people have their own wildlife cameras in their gardens or they happen to be looking out the window and they see uh, a, an owl or another interesting bird and there are a lot of very knowledgeable and enthusiastic wildlife spotters out there as well so it's not uncommon for somebody to say i've got this bird i don't <laughs> know what it is but it's not normal and somebody else to come in and go that's a black cap or a red wing or um, and I do know that some of our more keen twitchers will go traveling looking for a bird if somebody's reported <laughs> it so if you have a strange man peering over your fence he's not looking at your washing he's trying to find the bird that you posted um, yeah. a few hours earlier um, so, so there's all sorts of collaborative things going on around that and as I said there's some very knowledgeable people so uh, don't be afraid to post because you don't know what, what a thing is, if you ask, lots of people will try and help you. It is Facebook, so it won't always be <laughs> accurate. But <laughs> Yeah, so the beauty of crowdsourced knowledge is, yeah. you know, don't get it right all the time, but a lot of the time it, it is really helpful. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, but this has only been going for a couple of years, hasn't it? And it's like, it has it, spread across the whole city. It has. I think our ambitions when we started were very local. We're just going to do something in our area. And it became apparent quite quickly that that had real benefits in terms of meeting and getting to know other people that were interested in wildlife. Because, you know, you didn't know there was a mad keen bird spotter at the end of your road until they started posting pictures of all the birds they saw. Um, and, you know, there are other things that have opened up. Uh, we have several local community groups in Brislington, uh, Friends of Brislington Brook and Friends of Eastwood Farm. Both have regular work parties if we post to the wildlife group that we're having a work party, there's over a thousand people in BS4 wildlife group. They're all nature focused and interested. They all live within a mile or so of those two sites. So we get more volunteers turning up. And at work parties, like when you go along and you're tidying up the area, or you're doing a litter pick or litter weeding picking, or things like that. All, all sorts of things like that. You know, on the small scale, it can just be very simple things like litter picking, um, but both Brisington Brook and Eastwood Farm have issues with Himalayan balsam, which is a very um, fast-growing spe species, and it tends to dominate the local undergrowth, and everything just becomes balsam. And over the last couple of years, both groups have been really successful in controlling balsam, starting in a small area and then widening that area out and removing it from large parts of the sites. It's it's 
it's like painting the fourth bridge. You'll never completely <laughs> eradicate it, but you can make massive difference very quickly. And it's not challenging to do. It's really easy to recognise the flowers once you've got your eye in. Um, and they're very shallow rooted, so pulling them up is really easy as well. Amazing. So there's a there's a group for every postcode in Bristol, except you said BS1 and BS2 are grouped together. Combined. Com- yeah. They're combined because they're quite small. So pe- anyone who's sort of living in that area, in an area who's interested, can um, go on Facebook and look it up and then ask to join. And then, yeah, it's a place to share knowledge, to share photos, and to also maybe link up with other people who want to volunteer to do green-focused stuff in your area. Absolutely. And I, and I would say, you know, if you're interested in volunteering, join your local group and maybe join one or two. Because if you live, um, say you live sort of around about Eastfield Park, you might be wanting to join both the BS5 group, which would cover Eastfield Park, and the BS7 group, which would cover Stoke Park. Um, not only are there lots of volunteering opportunities, um, there's also lots of g- good information being um, brought to the groups by other agencies. So the groups now have a reach of more, more than 6,000 people. We've got three groups that are over 1,000 people each. I think our smallest at the moment is about 50, and we're really keen to try and grow that. So if you join your group, tell your friends, tell your neighbours, encourage them to join as well. But Avon Wildlife Trust have been really good about... Um, posting relevant things in the groups. So if they've got walks and talks and events locally, they're putting that in there. Um, and also general information uh, about uh, how you can make your garden more wildlife friendly. Um, there's two of the groups, BS3 and BS16, have both started community nature reserves. And this is a really uh, nice idea. Basically, you commit to putting some part of your garden aside for nature. And that might literally just mean that you don't tidy up all of your leaves at the end of um, the summer but you leave them over over the winter in a corner so that there's somewhere for all of the butterflies most butterflies over winter in leaf mulch and leaf mold oh, I didn't know that. so if, if, oh. if, if you throw away the leaves you throw away all of the insects larvae oh, no. all the baby insects as well oh. and and it's an excuse just yeah. to you know some i some might call me a lazy gardener i'd say i'm just you know letting nature uh, take I, its I, course I, I think lazy gardening has a lot of benefits. It's more manageable, but actually by leaving um, areas for nature, you're allowing a reservoir for all of the f- seeds, insects. Um, that will mean spiders, and that's not ideal for some folk, <laughs> but they're an important part of the ecosystem. And um, the idea of the community nature reserve is just to make this a little bit more structured and encourage people to... Um, first sort of take interest in the idea and then potentially work within their garden space and with their neighbours to make uh, areas more friendly for wildlife. So that might be introducing a pond or it might be putting a hole in your fence so that the hedgehogs that visit your garden can go and visit your next door neighbour's garden and maybe they've got a pond so there's drink for them or more food or uh, boy hedgehogs if you're a girl hedgehog or vice versa. Um, you know, so there's lots of... Uh, of positive benefits there and you know in, on the back of the wildlife groups we in some of the areas now have hedgehog groups where people are actively doing that creating hedgehog highways down their streets leaving gardening for hedgehogs so leaving places where they can make nests or putting in hedgehog houses that's so lovely oh well, we we're sort of running out of time for this section but that is really lovely so if people want to get involved they should go on facebook they should look for 
wildlife and then their first part of their postcode. It's the, po- it's, it's the postcode then wildlife. Postcode so B- then BS3, BS4, BS5 wildlife. Okay, yeah. so look for that and then, yeah, get involved, start uploading photos, looking at other people's photos. Yeah, seeing what you can get. But thank you so much for coming in, Dougal. That was really interesting. Really appreciate it. Well, well thank you for having me. No worries. So there you are. That um, well, brings us almost to the end of our show, I believe. Thank you again to Dougal for the interview. That was very interesting. We will share all the links about how you can get involved in your local wildlife postcode group. We'll share that on our socials. Uh, Thank you, our listeners, for listening. Without you, there is no show. Please do join us next week when we're going to be talking to a local Bristol artist behind the dub track Bristol Burning, where a year of air quality data has been turned into music. We're going to be talking to Miriam about that, and that sounds really interesting. Next up on BCFM is Lunchtime with Tristan B, so keep it locked to BCFM for more tunes and chat. But that's all from me, Shona Gemfrey, for now. So please take care. Have a good day. Look after yourselves, look after the planet and look after each other. This is the podcast version of One Love, One Planet, the award-winning environmental radio show broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM radio, available on 93.2 FM, on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Gemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Gemfrey and at BCFM radio.